As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hi there and welcome back to the C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. I'm Justin Briley, Premier's Theology and Apologetics Editor, standing in once again for Ruth Jackson this week as we bring you an audience Q&A with Alistair McGrath that followed his 2013 talk, C.S. Lewis the Storyteller at Unbelievable the Conference. I hope you enjoy today's show and don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Do rate and review us as well. It helps other people to discover the show. And of course, you can find out more about the podcast at cslewispodcast.com. Thank you, Alistair. Um, While you were speaking, there was actually a story (coughs) which came to my mind. Um, I don't know whether it's one you've heard before. It gets around Christian circles a bit. Um, But it actually highlights a concern I've got about a pitfall that we could potentially fall into when we're trying to use storytelling. Um, It's basically where there's a vicar who is giving a sermon. um, And he's talking to the children. And he says to them, now children, I want you to imagine, um, I want you to guess what I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm thinking of something that's pink, it walks on all fours, has a curly tail, and goes oink, oink. Can you guess what I'm talking about? And then one of the children turns to the other and says, it sounds like a pig, but it must be Jesus. (laughs) Um, And that kind of sums it up, I think, because I think there's a danger where sometimes, no matter how hard we try to be creative and try to tell stories, sometimes we're met with the attitude of, yeah, but at the end of the day, you are a Christian, I know what you want me to do. You want to turn me into a Christian as well. It's just you being a propagandist. So I'm wondering what advice you would have, or maybe even Lewis had, about trying to avoid not just looking like propagandists, but actually being uh, propagandists, so we don't cheapen the art of storytelling by just turning it into yet another tool to evangelize, but actually use it um, to its full extent. Yeah, that's a great question to begin with. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, And I know what you mean about the Sunday school stories. Whatever the question is, the answer is Jesus. And, 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 you know, know, I mean, mean, that's quite good in one sense, but, but, you know, it has this sort of predictability about it. I think Lewis would would acknowledge the importance of the point you're making. Uh, It's not so much propagandizing. In other words, trying to sell you a worldview, which personally I don't think is true, but I want you to believe it because then you're under my control, that sort of thing. What Lewis is saying is that Christianity at heart is about goodness, truth, and beauty as they really are. And what I want to do is to share this with you because I've discovered this 
and it has utterly changed everything. So Lewis, in many ways, for example, at the beginning of The Problem of Pain, he says, look, um, I wrote this book, and I did so as a former atheist who came to discover this stuff. I want to tell you how good it is and how it makes sense of this problem of suffering. I think what Lewis is here doing is saying, look, I've discovered this. Let me tell you, A, why it makes so much sense, and B, why it's life-changing. And I think what we can do is reframe this whole thing, not in terms of propagandizing, but wanting to share the good things in life. I mean, you go back to that age-old analogy, you know, evangelism is like one beggar telling another word to find bread. Okay, it's stale, probably like the bread itself. But, you know, but you, you can see the point it's making. I found something. It's great. I like you. I want you to find this as well. I think what Lewis is saying is that stories are a great way of trying to put into words something that's actually very difficult to put into words. What is this Christian faith and why does it make so much difference? And what Lewis discovered was you give a conceptual analysis of that, that's good. You can tell stories, and for some people, the stories work better. And if, if I had time, I'd want to talk about Lewis on the idea of a myth. Now, by myth, Lewis does not mean something fabricated. He means a narrated worldview. That is to say, a way of looking at things that is told as a story, and you, in effect, embrace it with your imagination, and it transforms your way of thinking. So I think we can use stories. Um, The real issue, I think, is where do we get them from? And I think Lewis helps us, both by giving us some but also by reminding us that there is a certain sense in which we live in a story-shaped world and we are storytelling people. And that's why, you know, when someone gives an evangelistic talk, very often one of the high points would be where they say, let's get Frank to come forward and give us his personal testimony. And what Frank is going to do is tell his story. And people will listen to that probably more than they listen to the preacher because... This is authentic. This is Frank telling his story, and it's also Frank talking about how Christianity became real to him. So I think that your question is very, very good. We need to achieve a certain freshness about stories. We need to realize how important they are, but a story that's told again and again and again does lose its freshness. Stories are good. We need to keep looking out for ones that help us articulate and convey the Christian faith. Thank you. Hi. Um, I just wonder whether or what, to what extent you thought that in our culture is part of the problem that in our language we don't have different words for story. We, um, I don't know, perhaps because of our background now, we, we can't get the concept of myth, legend, fairy story, story, whatever, um, and when I'm talking to my kids or if I was talking, uh, doing RE or something, um, if I use the word story, they think made up. They don't necessarily think using imagination or whatever. So if you're talking about, I don't know, Father Christmas or something, and I deliberately avoided tooth fairies and you know Easter bunnies and everything because I didn't want my kids to get muddled up with, well, there are different kinds of story we just happen to be stuck with this word in English, story. Um, 
and I just wondered if you could you could talk into that this this problem of this definition. We ha- we have a definitional problem. I think you know we could think of story, legend, narrative, account. You know all of these things, and it's sometimes it's difficult to know quite what the right word is. And what I found is that very often I'll use a word and then I'll gloss it. I'm going to tell you the Christian story. Now I don't mean something that's made up. I mean something that happened in history that actually is immensely significant for all of us. And I'm sure you you could probably do better than that, but the point you make is absolutely right, that whatever word we use to refer to a narration, narration, it's going to have overtones. And what we need to do is, in effect, use a word that connects up a bit and then just say, by the way, I don't mean this, I mean this. I think it's extremely important to emphasize that Christianity tells a story that changes stories. Uh, We've got a story, it's got a story, and when those come together, some interesting things happen. So I think it's very important to try and get that across. And certainly, you know, in the media, um, very often you will hear things like uh, the dominant narrative of our culture. In other words, our culture is telling a story. And the story you find, for example, in The Guardian or Independent is, you know, reason triumphing over superstition. That's the story of our times. And, of course, the story doesn't actually work. It doesn't correspond to reality. So you have to kind of way change reality to actually fit the story. And I think the key thing is which story explains things best. Now, I've wrestled with this one, and in the end, I keep coming back to story. But I, I, I need to explain what I mean by that. Uh, And you're absolutely right, there's a certain cultural suspicion of that word. But with others, like myth, that's that's even worse, even though Lewis loved it. You you have to, in effect, have double footnotes instead of a single footnote. Uh, So I I personally think that the word story is probably the best one to use. Because actually, when you listen to, to the media, let me tell you my story. Actually, that makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. So that's why I stick with that one and therefore add a few words just to say, I don't mean this, I mean this. For C.S. Lewis, what was it that caused him first to become a theist and later to become a Christian? What was it that the things that primarily caused him to change his attitude from being an atheist to becoming a believer? Thank you. Uh, I think that there were several things. Um, one was his... I think his realization that while, as an atheist, he thought this makes some sort of sense, it doesn't actually do anything for me. You know, you know it's actually quite dull. It's not existentially significant. And that certainly is a theme you find, that Lewis self-defines as an atheist, but not a very, not a very enthusiastic one, because what is there to get enthused about? And then he begins to realize, I think, two things. One is that actually, you know, if there, if there was a God, that might actually help us make sense of a few things. He, you know, he doesn't take it very far, but he mentions it in his letters. And then there is this growing sense, look, there has to be something behind what we see that undergirds it and makes sense of it. And he's not sure what it is. He talks in very philosophical terms about an ideal But then he begins to experience something which he interprets as the approach of God. It's not something he wants, it's something that's happening. And in the end, as you will know from reading Lewis, and I I pick this up in the book, uh, he has this conversion experience or a reconversion experience, which is very much about getting down on his knees and admitting God was God, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. But then... 
he moves on from there and discovers Christianity. In other words, not just theism, there is a God, but rather the Christian way of thinking about God. And one person who was instrumental in his conversion was J.R.R. Tolkien. And Tolkien, in effect, said, look, he used the technical word myth. We've just had a conversation about how difficult that word is. But let's say a big story, a meta-narrative, something like that. Tolkien said, Christianity is not a set of ideas. It is a meta-narrative, a grand story, which makes sense in itself, but also makes sense of all the other stories we tell about ourselves. And that just clicked for Lewis. He he was a literary scholar. He knew all about ancient Greek myths. He suddenly said, this, this makes sense of that. And and it's right. It's a true myth. In other words, it helps understand why these things are there. It says, I'm right, but I can make space for these. Uh, And suddenly Lewis, it's like a penny dropping, actually. It's quite an astonishing development. And so that was instrumental for Lewis. Christianity tells a story, and the story makes sense in itself and makes sense of every other story we tell about who we are and where we're going. And I suspect that's probably why Lewis began to realize that telling stories was actually a very, very good way of doing apologetics. Uh, I wonder if you could uh, comment on who you think the implied reader is, and is that a different person from the real reader? Um, uh, certainly, if you, if you read Surprised by Joy, uh, you are left wondering who Lewis is writing for, because he doesn't bother to translate French, German, or Italian terms, and he keeps using Oxford jargon, which someone like me can understand, but his, an outsider wouldn't understand at all. So there's a genuine issue there. I think what Lewis is probably doing in Surprised by Joy is saying, well, if you want access to my private world, you've got to do it on my terms. But in general terms, Lewis, I think, is assuming that his readership are people who are a bit like him, intellectually curious, uh, wanting reassurance about their faith, or wanting ways of thinking about Christianity which begin to engage with the questions that really matter. And we know from looking at um, a whole range of things that, that Lewis found his way to being able to ask the questions that his readers wanted answers to. And one of the things that puzzles me, I have to say, is that you know, I thought clergy were meant to be doing this. But it seems that Lewis was doing this in a way that really connected up with where people were. And I suspect it was because Lewis had once been an atheist himself and so found it very easy to, to, to understand the difficulties that people would have or the concerns they would have. So I think in many ways the implied readership is probably quite complex. But certainly Lewis has, I think, two groups of people in mind, Christians who want to think more and also, of course, unbelievers who are who are perhaps settled in their way of thinking, but rather suspect reality is more complicated than that and want to find a way of beginning to explore options without having to actually go near a church. I think Lewis actually is quite important because mere Christianity has found its way into many households where the householders wouldn't actually go to church, at least to start with. Once they read mere Christianity, of course, things may, may, may move on from there. My question's a bit cheeky. 
People will read the biography, but I hope even more they will go and read Lewis, because I think having read my biography it actually gives you a framework to make more sense of Lewis. But uh, you know, Lewis has done this all very well indeed. But I will say your question is good, because although I don't think I'm cut out for this, Lewis reminds us that we need writers who can tell or retell the Christian story in ways that capture the imagination of our culture. You think Dan Brown, J.K. Rowling, Philip Pullman, they're all telling stories that sell very well. And inevitably, you buy into the way of thinking they set out. We really do need Christian writers who can write brilliant stories which convey a Christian worldview. Lewis did it very, very well back in the 1950s. But we are a long way from there now, and we need someone, maybe somebody here today, who'll be able to say, right, I think I can do that again today. So if I've planted a seed in anybody's mind, that might be a good thing. Thank you. Um, so Lewis and Tolkien were both Christians and Christian storytellers, but they seem to have a bit of a disagreement about how to tell the story. So Lewis really liked allegories, and Narnia is very allegorical, whereas in writing The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien was saying he didn't like allegory, he thought it was a bit tyrannical, and it's best to write a story which then gives the reader the freedom to read that. So going back to your sort of advice to people who want to write stories, would it, could, would it be better maybe to use more of the Tolkien style? For example, uh, there was this movie, <coughs> The Matrix, in the 90s, and every CU meeting I went to was citing The Matrix to talk about that things are not quite what they are, that there's a hidden meaning. So just wanted to get your thoughts on, on that debate. Well, um, I mean, The Matrix is a great film, and I have to admit, I'm so <laughs> locked in the past, I still refer to The Matrix when I try to make some of these points. However, uh, you're right. If you look at The Lord of the Rings and you look at Narnia, um, they are rather different. And, and the difference is, is, is about more than just one being a children's story and one being more adult. It's deeper than that. Um, Pauline Baines, as you probably know, was an illustrator to both Lewis and Tolkien. And she preferred Tolkien. She said, she said look, Lewis's Christianity is very in-your-face. Tolkien's is much more subtle. And actually, I, I know what she means. When you read The Lord of the Rings, I mean, God's not mentioned. You know, there, there's nothing religious. I mean, you think about it, there's no religious... Uh, there's nothing happening we could describe as religious, really. But... It's about good versus evil. It's about what is it that sustains virtue in a dark world. You know, it's about these big, what you might call meta-questions, you know, really ultimate questions. And what, when you read Tolkien, or in fact even when you see the movies, because the movies are very well made, you're left in no doubt there is an epic story being told. And we, we're caught up in this. And the big question really is what stands behind the story. I think my answer is there's room for both these approaches. I think that, that in one sense it is a difference of style. And I don't want to judge that. But I will say from talking to non-Christian friends that for many of them Tolkien is more effective 
because he gives them space to, to ponder this without actually throwing the answer straight in their face. Lewis is a bit more direct, but sometimes people need much more direct answers. So I personally think there's room for both, but I know Tolkien's is more effective for a certain group of people. Just a quick one. I think the story um, telling is, is very powerful. I think we just need to remember whose story we're telling. And before we start telling that story, I think we need to make sure we're praying into the story that we're telling so that it's delivered in the right way to that person and that seed is sown and God is glorified. You know, we're talking about apologetics today. I think we must never give the impression that apologetics is simply about good techniques. You know, let's use this technique to answer this question. It's, it's about reminding us that there are very good questions to the answers that are being asked of us. But also, as I hope I indicated in my opening talk this morning, we are dependent on the grace of God. And there's a sense in which, you know, very often when you have a conversation or you're writing something or you're planning something, you'll be saying, dear God, please give me strength and please give me wisdom. Because, you know, one of the questions sometimes will be, which story do I tell? What do I say that's going to connect up with this person? And frankly, I'm not absolutely sure, but I need your wisdom and strength to get this one right. So apologetics is about us doing our best, but realizing God does the rest. You know, and I think it's very important to make sure God really is brought into the whole apologetic enterprise. Thank you for that question. Thank you all for your questions, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Hope you've enjoyed today's special podcast, bringing you Alistair McGrath's audience Q&A on C.S. Lewis, the storyteller, from our 2013 Unbelievable Conference. Always open to your suggestions, thoughts and reactions to the podcast. Do get in touch via my email, unbelievable at premier.org.uk and do visit the website of the show for more about it, cslewispodcast.com. This episode marks the end of season two of the show, but we'll be back in just a couple of weeks' time with season three as Ruth Jackson takes the helm once more to talk all things Narnia with Alistair McGrath. So look forward to that. Thanks for being with us and see you soon.